Broadcasting from the commodity capital of the world, Zurich, Switzerland, this is Insider's Guide to Energy. This edition to Insider's Guide to Energy is brought to you by Fidectus. Go to www.fidectus.com for more information. Welcome to Insider's Guide to Energy. This week's an exciting week. We have kicked off our first educational mini-series. We're talking about ETRM. Uh, my co-host this week is Martin Hiller. Martin is my co-host through the ETRM mini-series. So most of you know Johan's usually in my co-host for this. But since we've done 13 episodes together, we figured number 14 would be a charm. So Martin's joining me. Martin, welcome to the program. Hi, Chris. Hi, Patrick. Uh, happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you as my co-host. You've already let loose who we have in the room with us. Um, This episode is going to be a little different. So we did 13 episodes in the educational mini-series where we focused specifically on ETRM, and we spoke to 13 different vendors. And we asked the vendors what the problems were in the industry and what the solutions they proposed were. And it's really interesting um, dialogue, and it's designed for compare and contrast. But what we didn't do is ask external kind of neutral parties. And that's what I want to do here on the main show is bring in practice Patrick Reams from Com Advisors to help us, you know, just position this and understand the market more from a neutral term. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate you having me on board. Well, you, you've kind of heard in my introduction what I'm hoping we're going to do here. So Martin and I have spent countless hours on calls with vendors. We, we've spent a lot of time getting to know the industry better than we already did. And um, we'd be remiss not to bring you on board. Um, I think it makes sense for if all of our audience doesn't know you, maybe to introduce yourself a little bit professionally, who you are and what your company does. Sure. I, uh, I appreciate the uh, opportunity. Uh, quick correction. The company name is uh, actually Commodity Technology Advisory uh, or ComTech for short. Uh, we are, at the end of the day, an analyst firm. Uh, we look at the intersection of the trends that influence the, the macro markets and the technologies that serve the macro markets for wholesale energy and commodity trading. Uh, we, we focus very specific to that point. Uh, we cover the markets uh, globally. Uh, my partner, Dr. Gary Vasey in Europe, uh, covers the European and Asia Pacific markets. Uh, I cover the North America and South American markets. Uh, we work with the vendors of technology, the service companies, system integrators that implement those technologies. Uh, we also work with the buyer side, helping them identify uh, very quickly uh, best uh, potential pools of best fit solutions. Uh, and then we also work with the investor side of the marketplace, uh, those companies that are looking to make equity investments, uh, PE firms, for example, uh, in the uh, technology companies, those those companies that uh that produce and and sell uh, ETRM, CTRM technologies. Well, fantastic. Uh, Then I I think we have the right guest for this episode to do what we hope to do. Um, Let's just dive into the conversation a little bit. If you, and I think you've had a chance to listen to a couple of the episodes, the vendors that we've released by this point. Um, I'd like to start out by talking about the current state of ETRM, CTRM, where it is today. And the reason this podcast came into existence or the mini series is in my day job, I work a lot with ETRM vendors and it seemed like there was a lot of noise. There was, it seemed like there was a lot of transition taking place and a lot of new entrants to the, the space. And so it made me say, maybe it's worth looking deeper into this. So you've been doing this, you work with them. What's the current state of ETRM? <laughs> Well, that's actually a pretty big question. Uh, if you look at the, the landscape of, of vendors that provide some sort of capability across uh, ETRM, CTRM, uh, you know, we, we track more than 100 different vendors around the globe that, that service some aspect of these markets. Now, clearly not all of those are, are energy related necessarily. Uh, some are agricultural, some are metals 
uh, some are softs, uh, but but clearly uh, energy is a, is a major component of that marketplace. So you're looking at a pool of at least you know 60, 70 vendors that, that can produce some sort of capability to service the ETRM landscape. Uh, those can range from very small, uh, very functionally tight ca- capabilities, uh, such as you know power in the German markets that don't necessarily translate on a global basis. Then you've got the others on the other end of the spectrum that cover multiple different energy commodities, uh, whether it be power, gas, uh, NGLs, uh, petroleum products, uh, you know, the the legacy vendors that have a very broad and and, and wide functional footprint. So uh, it's it's a real mixed bag in terms of the marketplace of of capabilities out there. Uh, We have seen recently a lot of consolidation driven primarily by ION. Uh, having done their their acquisitions that they've done over the last several years, we're also seeing Brady return to the marketplace in terms of uh, additional acquisitions. So we are seeing some consolidation in the marketplace. I don't think that's going to be the major trend going forward, uh, but we are also seeing on the other end the entrance of of new vendors out there that are taking advantage of uh, the trend towards the cloud and and uh, creating again somewhat limited capable systems in, in terms of the breadth of uh, functionality they may be bringing to market. Uh, many of these are focused highly around uh, risk management and analytics. Uh, but it is a there, there are continuing uh, on an annual basis. We see, you know, a couple of new vendors every year, at least uh, in some years we'll see more arise. So it's a it's been a very interesting marketplace, uh, and it will continue to be an interesting marketplace, I, I think, for the next decade, uh, particularly as the energy transition continues to to bite into uh, the global energy markets. So, so there's been a bit of consolidation. There's been a bit of newness, um, and, and I, I'm not sure. Uh, you, you mentioned the cloud is is one of the the reasons this is taking place, and. And, and I don't know that much you would richer history here, but from the vendors that we spoke with, I think they all kind of said there are past cloudifying things that the, 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 the value that that train had already sailed. So is that marketing from the vendors or you think that, that folks are really cloudified? Because I, I don't think we had a single vendor that didn't say they were in the cloud. Um, how they're in the cloud, what that means is very different. Yeah, you know, and, and that's really, I think, ultimately the point. Uh, you can web enable any software, essentially. Now, web enabling and putting it into a cloud environment is different than creating a cloud native application. Uh, hosted in the cloud is not the same thing as software as a service, necessarily. The licensing may be the same, but are you actually taking advantage of 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 the capabilities of the cloud, that being scalability, uh, to bring on additional processors to meet peak processing needs. And, and these are data intensive systems. Uh, if you're out there simply reserving, you know, a dozen servers in the cloud, as opposed to being able to scale to a dozen cloud, a dozen servers, and then idling at a single server, that's an entirely different model. So. Uh, it's you know transforming legacy software to a to a uh, to a native environment is a difficult thing to do. Uh, that's where I think some of the new entrants have uh, some advantage in 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 that in terms of cloud capabilities. Okay, so it's in that context of the new uh, vendors entering, um, we often saw that they are cloud native, which makes sense when you launch a new product or a new system to directly make it cloud native. Um, but maybe one step back here. So you mentioned on the one side of the spectrum, you have these small vendors that are coming into the market, usually a strong focus on the cloud. But what is driving that trend? Is it the clients that are demanding a technology change or is it more the vendors that see that there is a necessity? So what is the situation in, in, in that way moving forward? Well, I, I think the the horse that pulls the cart here is the is the market itself. I think uh, the legacy software systems have become pretty expensive to maintain. Uh, building out data centers, uh, 
uh, adding continually adding servers and storage capabilities to service these legacy monolithic systems has become quite expensive for the mar for uh, a lot of the marketplace, and they are looking to the cloud to help reduce those costs and improve the efficiency. So I think in, in most cases, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the vendors are responding to to that that pull that, that, that the market is looking for in terms of the technology base. Uh, I think also if you look at uh, the, the new entrance to the marketplace, uh, I mean, clearly cloud and cloud capabilities uh, do provide them from a development standpoint a much more economical environment to, to build out their solutions uh, and the tools that, uh, you know, the leading edge tools are going to be in the cloud. Uh, you know, you're not going to build a cloud server system these days. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's it's a bit of a natural evolution, but I do think that the marketplace is really looking towards these vendors to help them reduce the costs of support and maintenance of these systems. Uh, if if they are on premises or uh, they're looking to upgrade to the next generation. So understood from your point of view, it's the really the marketplace, so the the clients that are driving that trend. Um, what I'm wondering, and of course very interesting to hear your opinion on that. Um, what do you think uh, or what do you mean in 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 terms of marketplace? Is it really the whole market that has this? Uh, demand already to move um, maybe towards microservices, cloud-based solutions, or is it just the first part of the, the overall market that that looks into that? Or it may, maybe it's even worth uh, separating it by locations or continents. So what is your view in terms of uh, market readiness um, to move to those smaller providers that maybe provide a different technology? Well, I, I think the European markets are probably kind of leading the, the charge in, in, in a lot of these uh, cases. Uh, you know, the, the rise of algorithmic trading across Europe has, has really kind of catalyzed a, a push towards uh, increasing the speed and, and capabilities of some of these systems. The North American marketplace tends to be much more mature. The, the business processes are more established. It tends to be more homogenous than you find in, in Europe. Uh, so it, it becomes the, the technology advancement in the U.S. Uh, North American markets probably uh, isn't as urgent as we, we see in Europe. But, uh, yeah, I, I think generally on a global basis, uh, there is a, a demand for cloud capabilities. Now, that, that's not to say that every company wants to be in the cloud necessarily. That, that's not necessarily the case. There are still on-premises uh, implementations being done. Uh, it's you know it's difficult to quantify at any given time, but you know it may be as much as thirty or forty percent of the market is still looking towards on-premises uh, implementation of software. Uh, but it's essentially the the same code. You're just installing it inside the firewall as opposed to putting it in the cloud, and you create your own little server farm within your organization if you're going to an on-premises. Whereas if you're talking about legacy software, client-server software, that the, it doesn't play as well on both sides. Okay, understood. So maybe let's take the chance now to move away from a more uh, technical discussion that we had so far. Very interesting. But you mentioned one buzzword or keyword uh, along your answer. So the, um, the trend in Europe that uh, goes towards automation or algo trading, as you said, and what we can clearly see, I mean, it's, it's quite obvious uh, all, all over the market that one driving factor for that is renewables that um, must, um, you know, or that act more volatile or cre create more volatility in the market prices, uh, which also fosters um, uh, automatic strategies so in that context uh, what is your view on renewables um, maybe also separate between different um, locations or continents and what do you see as the biggest challenges in terms of um, etm solutions that vendors provide what is their biggest problem or issue to solve when it comes to renewables well i, I think you kind of pointed it out there and i, I think it's to some degree, it's regionalization. There's not a homogenous marketplace globally for, for power-capable systems. And even within Europe, I think you're still seeing 
uh, a bit of regionalization there. Uh, there's not a, a singular European market yet. I think you know ultimately that may be the goal. And 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 frankly, my partner Gary Vasey is probably better equipped to to address the European markets than am I. But uh, you know, speaking broadly, I, I think there is still a lot of work that needs to be done in Europe as as renewables continue to displace the, the conventional generation sources, whether they be coal or potentially even natural gas. I know there's a lot of debate around whether natural gas is a green energy source or not, but for baseload generation, I think you've still got to have it. Nuclear is being phased out uh, uh, despite uh, the, the, the value of nuclear as a baseload generation source. Uh, so uh, the volatility, I think, is a result of all of those things in, in, across Europe. Uh, you, you saw what happened in Western Europe with the with the wind dying in the North Sea and uh, losing the generation there, creating havoc across uh, in prices, uh, both in terms of volatility and, and ultimate prices. Uh, so these are all things that help drive uh, companies to look for technology solutions that can help them identify and value alternative sources and and do and 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 acquire those alternative sources within the bounds of the uh, environmental regulations that you see in Europe. Now I think in North America it's it's a bit different. Uh North American energy policy is highly influenced by politics and so it's more difficult to for investors in the U.S. marketplace to say, okay, we need to be here within the next five or 10 years. Uh, you know, tax incentives can come and go, whether it be for wind or solar. Uh, the regionalized uh, ISOs, RTOs in the U.S. Uh, have their own rules. Uh, we are seeing the development of five-minute markets in the western region of the U.S., also in the southeast region of the U.S. So we are getting more towards a real-time environment for, for power trading to, to accommodate renewables. Uh, but I think we, we have the technologies right now to address that in, in the U.S. We've got quite a few vendors out uh, working in those marketplaces and working with those companies in those five-minute markets, and, and they've proven successful in that way. Now, there's obviously always more that could be done to, to improve uh, technology capabilities, software capabilities. But I, I think that, uh, you know, that is, it's not a necessarily solved issue because it is continuing to evolve. But it, it is something that I, I think uh, we've got a decent handle on here. Um, I think Europe may be more challenging. You go to Asia Pacific, you're seeing the rise of the Japanese markets, which are, are very much a lookalike to the, the U.S. markets. Uh, you've got Australia going to a, a more of a real-time environment. So it's a it's an interesting mix from a geographic market standpoint, uh, the impact of renewables, the the inconsistency in 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 uh, environmental regulations amongst those markets are really creating some technology imbalances, if you want to call it that. So so do you see that? So we spent um time with 13 vendors, some in North America, some specialized in different elements. Um, do, you, do you see a competitive disadvantage for someone being large that wants the same vendor through the different markets? So if, are you going to use the same vendor in the European market then and, and, and the same solution in the North American market? Or do you see that there's going to be fragmentation amongst multinational traders and well, it really depends on the capabilities that you're looking for. Are you looking to do power scheduling, for example? If you're looking for power scheduling, you're probably not going to be using the same vendor solution across those various markets. Uh, uh, the U.S. market has very specific rules, and those rules will vary within the ISOs in which you operate. Uh, also, if you're in the five-minute markets, that's going to create an additional complexity. So uh, you're going to be looking at probably a third party solution to address those capabilities. If you're looking for more of a uh, enterprise wide risk management capability uh, that's being that's being fed from some of these third party uh, scheduling solutions or power market solutions, you can look towards the legacy vendors, I think, in order to create kind of that enterprise view of position and, and risk. Uh, so it's it's and even within you know, you're talking about power. Uh, 
you may have renewables as part of your portfolio. You may have some cogen facilities that you're burning natural gas and you need to manage your natural gas positions, or you may even have a natural gas trading desk. Uh, to to acquire fuel and also trade around the, those facilities. So uh, you're also talking about bringing in an additional commodity uh, and additional desk into that system. So it may not necessarily there there is probably not going to be a singular one size fits all solution that can address all those various markets around the globe. It's uh, it it's difficult and it's. Uh, well, it's, it's difficult for vendors to build out that breadth of capability if it's not going to be commercially supported by their client base. Let me put it that way. So, so I guess that goes back to how we started the conversation is if you have a modular cloud-based architecture, it, it's generally pretty easy to build ecosystems. So are you seeing some interesting ecosystems coming to fruition or have you seen or heard about some, some of these ecosystems to do what you're talking about? Well, I think clearly, and I know Beacon was on, and and they have, I think, the the what we would view at, at Comtech as kind of the uh, not not the right approach, but certainly an approach that is being seen as a possible solution to the the complexities of these global energy marketplaces. Create a platform, uh, and then with that platform, either either within that platform or utilizing third party applications. Uh, start to create an ecosystem of capabilities. Uh, we've also seen other vendors using that approach, uh, both in the energy markets and outside of the energy markets, the ecosystem of solutions. It used to be, in some ways, called best of breed. Uh, you know, you're going to buy a particular application for a particular office or a particular desk within an office to address their particular needs. I think the issue there was you created a spaghetti code of integration issues. I think using new technologies, uh, we, we are seeing the, some solutions to those integration problems. And you are starting to see now a return to that, that ecosystem approach. And it is certainly one of the trends that we see as, as a very uh, vibrant right now and, and growing. And, and I think that uh, uh, it really is going to be the, the way that software is going to be procured in the future. Now, that's not to say the legacy vendors are going to go away. They're not. Uh, they have great depth of capability. I think they. Uh, I, I think the, the goal for them will be to look at how do we get native in the cloud and how do we better facilitate integration with some of these other applications out there. Okay, understood. So um, you mentioned um, with one vendor beacon that is um, providing definitely an ecosystem or a microservice-based um, solution that allows then clients to develop their own models or capabilities on that, let's call it platform for now. Um, but I think there's also the approach to, to, to think for the client whether the client should build its own platforms and not really buying a system like Beacon from the shelf, but really building from scratch a platform that allows to manage business. So to, to capture trades, to integrate and develop own models. Do you think that's something that uh, clients should look into to build their own platform? Or would you say based on your experience, there is maybe not enough uh, know-how um, resources, um, and other reasons why they should keep away from that and look more into established solution from vendors. Well, I, I think you ultimately what we when we talk about it from that that approach, we're talking about custom development of of ETRM solutions. Uh, whether it's a platform or whether you're building it as a monolithic code base, you're still doing custom development. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to say that that model's been discredited because it certainly hasn't, but I think it's also been found to be extremely expensive and fraught with potential risk if you should end up losing some of your key resources within your organization. I think buying a vendor-supplied platform or a vendor-supplied uh, or, or applications around which you can build an ecosystem of solutions provides you kind of a leveraged approach. You're, 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 sharing the knowledge with the with the vendors other customers uh, you're getting capabilities that you would otherwise have to build yourself 
Uh, I think it's probably a lower risk approach, um, and I think it's probably um, in the long term a more economical approach, particularly when you, you start to look at platforms like Beacon. They, they give you some very basic capabilities uh, and, and in some cases some more advanced capabilities that you could leverage and not have to build the kind of the, the skeleton of the system. The skeleton's already there. You just have to flesh it out uh, to meet your particular needs. Uh, you know, if you, I suppose, if a company has a very unique mix of assets uh, that aren't represented well in, in a vendor-supplied system, or even within a platform, and I have a hard time envisioning what those that mix of assets might be, building your own may be the way to go. Uh, but I, I think that would certainly be the exception. So, so you mentioned Beacon, and Beacon, I think, of the the. Um vendors that we interviewed was unique in, in their value proposition compared to some of the others and in, in, in building and in giving a platform to do some interesting things. How do the other smaller players, so let's say in North America, we talked to someone like a molecule over here in Europe, it might be a device systems or a, a CTRM cubed or someone like that. How, how do they fit into this world the way you're describing it in your vision? Well, you know, I think uh, of the three you mentioned there, they're all looking at new technology capabilities and they're looking at, specific markets, specific commodities. Um, you know, Molecule's a, a great example, I think, of, of leveraging the latest technologies to create some interesting capabilities. Uh, I think Molecule themselves would, would indicate they're not going to be a solution for every use case within the energy markets, whether it's power, uh, natural gas, um, you know, petroleum liquids. I think certainly their some of their latest their latest product called Electra, I believe it is, uh, as certainly looking more capable in terms of physical power. Uh, so I think they're they're continuing to make those investments there. Uh, the other vendors that you mentioned, CTRM Cube, I think they're they're continuing their development efforts. Uh, you know, if, if you're a small company, you're always looking for your customers to help fund. The development of your solutions uh that's that's a natural way to grow these products nobody's gonna go out and do you know uh in, uh, prospective investments in a product hoping they can find a market you're going to build what your clients are looking for so again i think i think they're they're quality technology solutions that have a very specific or multiple very specific use cases associated with them and as they mature and they grow those capabilities, they'll they'll they will be better positioned to compete broadly against the the legacy solutions that can address multiple commodities, multiple markets, multiple geographies. Cool. And so you started the show by talking about um, Ion. You said that they had done a lot of acquisition, and everybody knows Ion's got kind of solution in different spaces. I think right. They have a, a number of different ETRMs depending on commodity and, and size and where you are and what your need is. How did that impact the market? What was that good for the market? Does it increase their capabilities? What, what's your thought there? You know, that's, that's a very interesting question. And I think it really depends on your perspective. Uh, uh, let's see, even setting aside ION, when you've got any company that goes out and acquires a uh, a good portion of the marketplace of solutions in any market, uh, there's going to be concerns uh, raised in terms of how is this acquirer going to support me going forward? And it, it does create a pause uh, both for the clients of that customer and the prospect or are the clients of that vendor and the, and the customers of that vendor are the prospects of that vendor. So I think there was some, uh, some, very strong initial concerns about ION uh, having done these acquisitions. Uh, I think uh, their acquisition of Triple Point did not go the way that either ION or Triple Point or the clients of Triple Point had anticipated it going. Uh, so I think that that created some, some concerns in the marketplace when ION went out and acquired some of the largest vendors in the space, including Allegro and, and OpenLink. Uh, but I think Ion's done a good job of improving their market communications. I think they've they've kind of helped to uh, address some of the concerns that their clients had, and, and some of the pro uh, some of the concerns that the prospects have had out there. And and I do see them the making strides to kind of build that that trust in the marketplace, where they're they're now being considered for opportunities that you know probably eighteen to. 18 months ago, two years ago, 
they may not have been in consideration for. Uh, so I, I think they've done a good job. Uh, is it is it something good for the marketplace? You know, I think time will tell that. Um, will they continue to make good investments in the product? My conversations with Ion indicate that they they are planning to make those investments and have made those investments and will continue to push their their applications, their flagship applications, Allegro, uh, Right Angle, and OpenLink uh, forward in terms of technology and, and breadth of capability. So, you know, ultimately it may turn out to be a good thing. We'll see. Well, with the last part, uh, part, you might have answered my next question, but still, um, I'm very curious to hear your opinion. So you said that uh, they they are on the road to push Allegro and also um, OpenLink, so Endure further. So my question would have been, uh, or is to you, do you think that there will be at uh, a point in time where Ion might uh, consolidate both systems and at the end merge it to maybe one solution? You know, I, I honestly don't say that. Um, if you look at the history of acquisitions in this space, there was always a view that we're going to take the best of uh, our solution that we, our legacy solution, plus the solution that we acquired, and we're going to create kind of a, a new approach of doing things. And, and frankly, it's never worked. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the data structures are entirely different amongst these various systems. Uh, the feature functionality is relying upon that underlying data structure. So you can't just take code out of one and stick it in the other and create the, the next generation solution. Once you've established that, that data model, you can expand that data model, but you really can't take much out of it uh, because you're crippling capabilities that clients may have relied upon in the past or, or are currently relying on. So, uh, To do that would require a complete re-implementation of, of any solution. Uh, and once you tell a client you're going to have to re-implement, uh, particularly of these large solutions, you're telling that client they're going to have to spend upwards of a million dollars in multiple years or multiple million dollars in multiple years to get the same capability they previously had plus a little bit more. I don't think any vendor wants to risk their client base that way. Uh, they are, every vendor is relied upon support and maintenance and, and the good graces of their customers to stay in business. If you expose your, your good customer to the competition by telling them that they're going to have to do this, there's a good chance you're going to, you're going to lose out, uh, to some of your competition, uh, that, that may have a cleaner approach, uh, to upgrading their solutions. So, um, I, I don't see those solutions ever being collapsed down into a single approach for the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, from, from me and the cheap seats, I see institutional knowledge as being value in those kind of partnerships where they, they just get more and more tech um, competence into the team potentially. And if, if you can leverage that, that's a positive. Um, another recent acquisition you talked about um, was Brady. And so we, we had Brady on the show uh, uh, on the episode. They spent a lot of time. They hadn't announced their acquisition when we did the recording. So it was more about uh, what, what, what was the product uh, Martin off the tip of the head that was the day ahead. Um, I can't remember the name there exactly, but yeah, quite a real time uh, sophisticated uh, solution for position management. Yep. Yeah, so, so they were focused on, on building more interface and, and UX experience, and then they went and acquired um, someone in the market to basically do exactly what you talked about, um, kind of forklift upgrade, at least all the legacy uh, ETRM vendors, I think, is kind of a strategy or to bring them up with a new stack. How's that going to play out, in your opinion? I, you know, I, I think Brady... Uh, I. I, I Bottom line, I think it should help Brady continue to grow their business. Um, I, I think from the standpoint, Brady has gone through a, a difficult period a couple of, uh, over the last couple of years. I think they've, they've emerged from that and they're starting to kind of look to how do we best leverage our capabilities in, in power. Uh, and then also with a focus towards uh, credit management, um, credit risk. I, I think they... They've got the right people in place. They've got the right strategy in place. Uh, and I think it does, it, it plays well with the needs of the European marketplace and then also their current capability. So I, I, I think that, that they're, they're much better positioned with the acquisitions uh, than they would have been without them. Okay. So 
so there's so there, I guess there's an organic grow and build, and then there's the buy philosophy. So you think in that case, um, it was a leapfrog and helped them get get what they need to to remain in the market with with their customer base, keep their customers satisfied. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, yeah, it helps them expand their footprint, but it also, uh, to to your point about development, uh, they are continuing to develop their underlying solutions. So, uh, yeah, it, it's an extension of the capabilities that they need, um, or extension of the capabilities that they had in house, and that will help them address a, a larger marketplace. So, I, all in all, I think it, it was a it was a wise acquisition on their part, very opportunistic. Um, how many more they're going to do? I'm not sure. Uh, they may they may pause for a while and then consume what they've they've been taken in uh, through those acquisitions. Uh, but but I, I see Brady as a, a strong player in the European marketplace going forward. I think they're 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 making the right steps they need to make in order to be successful there. Okay, at the very beginning, we talked a bit about how different the market needs are in terms of location. So uh, we mentioned Europe, uh, North America, and also other areas. Uh, I guess that strongly depends, of course, on the market structure and how how um, trading is, is working there. But would you say that there is a market or an area that is most attractive to enter uh, for vendors or maybe develop their solution further because there is a potential to to create a unique edge or some major advantages you know looking at it north american u.s market is is the largest market in the world um that's not to say though that it's it's there's tremendous opportunity for new entrants uh i think there is some opportunity but this marketplace is pretty well served uh by numerous vendors across the various energy commodities. Uh, I think the new technology approaches uh, would be helpful in, in helping to penetrate that marketplace. Uh, things like cloud-enabled analytics, uh, our, our cloud-based analytics, we're seeing, uh, you know, we've seen a few of those companies arise recently. Uh, I, I think in terms of um, operational orient, oriented systems, scheduling, um, you know, managing PPAs. I, I think those may be opportunities in the North American marketplace. I think Europe is a is a potentially a more interesting marketplace to enter if if somebody was looking for just some place to put money and, and build technology. Um, the, I, I think there the the challenges of the environmental regulations in Europe do offer some opportunity for kind of new approaches to managing. Uh, carbon exposures, for instance, uh, we don't have that necessarily that same level of exposure in the U.S. that, that uh, Europe has. So I think that's an interesting place to, to put uh, some investment. Uh, and then I think if you look at companies like Fidectus, for instance, uh, looking to uh, kind of streamline processes across the geographies or within the geographies, uh, help to wring some of the costs and and latency out of the business processes of those. I think if you've got an approach there and you've got uh, kind of the technology base that can help achieve that, you know, I, I think that's 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 certainly an opportunity. So, so I, I guess you know, I, I like the division of the of the two markets. You got North America, you got the European market. I, I understand the carbon pressure and. And, and, you know, you, you said something that made me smile in your earlier comment. You said that, uh, you know, that the energy is, is very political in the U.S. Um, on this podcast, I, I don't think you'll get to a single episode that politics don't come into energy in any continent, in any market. Um, so I, I smile just because I, I, I would argue it's political everywhere, um, whether it's new carbon standards of pricing or you know, whatever the, the rules may be wherever we are. Um, well, yeah, and, and I don't disagree that politics plays a role everywhere. I think what we've seen in Europe, though, is a more consistent uh, push towards decarbonization as opposed to if you look at the, the U.S. marketplace, uh, you know, depending upon who the president is, depending upon who controls the Senate or the Congress or, or, or the House of Representatives, the rules are going to are going to swing dramatically. Um, it's just the nature of U.S. politics and U.S. environmental policy. Uh, you're, you, it, it's, it's difficult to map out the future of U.S. energy policy. It's, it, well, it's virtually impossible because it's going to change. 
I see that, but what I also see, I mean, I, I talked to folks that had huge offshore wind farms off of uh, California. Um, I mean, the renewable genie's out of the bottle, I, I would say, right? So, I mean, U.S. beautiful thing is has a lot of natural gas, can be an export if it chooses to, and it, it's got plenty of resource. But, but I, I and, and I agree with you that that there's no overnight switch taking place. That there's a base load and there's all the considerations. But, but I, I do see, um, at least from my job of talking to folks even in North America, that renewables there, right? And even some of the companies that came um, from Europe that have mandates that if, if I say they do any hydrocarbons, they, they, they basically want to shut my meetings down with me, right? Even though they, they still have some there and they say, oh, no, no, we don't do that anymore. Um, and, and, and that's their North American team. That's meeting in Houston, right? That, that is not meeting over here in Europe. Um, so it, it's interesting to see what's there. And where it's going. Um, what I found in putting this podcast together, where Martin and I got to talk to so many different folks, there were, were kind of buckets, right? We had the the legacy buckets. We, we talked about the ions of the world because there really is only one kind of ion of the world um, that, that has that kind of depth and reach through through the market. Um, then there's folks like Contigo. Where, where do they fall in, in your vision? So Contigo is out there. there. There's some great folks over there as well. What Where, where do you see them playing? Uh, you know, Contigo has always been strong in the UK power markets uh, and, and moving into the, the European markets. I, I think that uh, with the, the new structure they have there, that you know, clearly they can they can leverage additional capabilities. And, and again, I would I would defer to my partner Gary Vasey for an in depth review of, of Contigo's capabilities. But uh, they they've certainly uh, shown some trajectory, uh, good trajectory in terms of growth and and. Uh, building out their capabilities and, and expanding their their market reach, so uh, I think uh, they'll they'll continue to play well in that that European market, particularly the Western European markets where they've they you know, were founded and continue to uh, find success. Cool. And then back on the acquisition train, um, I, I've got a lot of history out of Denver, Colorado. So there's a company called Pioneer, which I think became ABB, and I think is now Hitachi. It is. Uh, so. How, how what's happening there in your from your your side? Well, uh, I think Pioneer has probably found a good home within Hitachi. Uh, the the acquisition of Hitachi by ABB uh, is is going to be well funded. Um, they you know they uh, having talked to the leadership within their their energy group at Hitachi, they're they're committed to making investments and they're using. Pioneer's uh, capabilities is kind of the, let's call it the molecular center of their the the enterprise that they're or the or the ecosystem that they're going to build out in terms of capabilities. Pioneer's always very been very strong in terms of the the renewables markets in in terms of carbon certificates that type of thing, managing tracking those. Uh, so I think it's it's it plays well there. They're also a good physically oriented system. Uh, so I see that one potentially if, if Hitachi continues to make, makes the investments that they, they indicated they're going to make within that, that energy group, uh, I could see Hitachi developing a, a pretty strong presence in the marketplace. I think it will require a few more acquisitions if they want to accelerate the process of going to market uh, and competing against some of the larger solutions on a, on a global market on a global basis. But uh that, that one has potential to really kind of uh, change the marketplace over the next five years if they really do follow through on, on some of the uh, their, their strategic plans that I, I'm, I'm, I was able to, to uh, be. All right, so, so folks are going to want to listen to the Hitachi episode, I guess, based on what you're saying, because you're, yeah, you're both yeah, so. where they're going to go. Yeah, um, they, you know, Uday Burrell is a is a dynamic guy. I think he's got a good vision. Uh, he's kind of leading up that that organization, uh, and and then along with uh, his his uh, his senior report, um, I, I think they've got a good vision of the marketplace. All right, and as long as I've kind of been going through through and getting your perspective, um, Glencore's uh, in attack, right? Um, right. So that's a little different approach, right? That that comes out of uh, a vested interest and, and commercializes something. What, what's your perspective on their position in the market? Uh, I, I think they've got good opportunity to grow. It's uh, they're very much uh, oil oriented, um, and I think 
you know, that, that marketplace has different dynamics than power, uh, for instance. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a slower moving market, um, in all ways, uh, both operationally and from a, a software standpoint. So, um, I think they have found some success. They're not necessarily a player at the very top end of the market, but as we're seeing a Comtech, a, a growth in the mid and lower tiers of the market in terms of buying software and using vendor supplied software, I think they're well positioned in that, in that oil market to find additional success. In terms of Inatech, we, we, I mean, we clearly um, heard on the podcast that they're also looking deeply into gas and um, power as, as, uh, feels that they want to cover and provide solutions. Um, how do you see that development? Do you see that uh, happening already? What's your opinion on that? Well, if if that's their view, I'll tell them on face value. I think that the problem you've got with anybody trying to get into natural gas or power, again, is the regionalization of those markets. The U.S. natural gas market is nothing like the European market, is nothing like the the any of the markets in Asia Pacific. It's a, you know, we're a producer consumer market here with lots of wholesale trading in between and lots of rules for moving natural gas that don't apply anywhere else. Um, so it's a natural gas system. in The U S is not going to address natural gas in Europe. Uh, you're going to have to make a lot of changes and adjustments in order to, uh, effectively schedule and nominate gas flows on uh, in those two various countries. Same thing with power. Uh, one size does not fill when you start talking about physical power movements. Uh, so it's it's a tough thing to do. You need to start if you're going to make those investments. They need to start at a in, in a very focused manner, using the latest technologies that allows you to build some more flexibility into the system to to expand its footprint over time. You can't just code to that single market and hope that you're going to be successful globally because I, I don't believe you will be. So as, we, as we're starting to get up to time, I, I think there's maybe one more vendor that I at least want to throw into the conversation that we talked to, um, CTRM Cloud. How, how much exposure do you have to CTRM Cloud and what are your thoughts oh, there? I, no, I, I know those guys well. I think they've uh, they definitely have uh, leveraged the, the cloud delivery model uh, very well there. I think they're a, a good solution for those smaller shops that are looking to develop uh, are looking for a more programmatic approach to managing their business as opposed to using spreadsheets or, you know, some, you know, home built database. Um, I, I think they've got, uh, you know, some some good capabilities there that are provide a good on-ramp to uh, these the smaller customers and mid-sized customers are looking to move into a, a more structured, programmatic approach to manage their business. Cool. And then I'd be remiss, I don't want to leave Richard out at Gen 10. Um, have you had much interaction with them? I, I, I've known Richard for, uh, I guess, about 10 years now. Uh, great dynamic guy, fun to always fun to visit with and have a beer with. Uh, and I, I think Richard, clearly, when you talk about the ecosystem approach, I think Richard is, is really one of the early guys that, uh, that identified the ecosystem approach as, as the way to move towards some of the complexity, move past some of the complexities of the legacy software. Uh, you know, I, I keep whenever I think of, of Richard, I think of his Lego diagram that uh, he produced a few years ago. And, and I think that's a great analogy. Uh, for for how he views the marketplace, and I, I do think the Gen Ten uh, has the has the right strategy. Uh, they're not necessarily the biggest energy player. I know they're they're working to build out their capabilities in energy. Uh, they started off in some of the softs and ag spaces, and they've done very well there. Um, and I think they do have potential to grow in in the energy space uh, with it and, and leveraging that ecosystem approach. Well, cool. So th there's a couple of vendors, but I don't think we can get through them all. We still didn't cover FIS or PSI. Um, I'm afraid that we're going to run out of time here. And, I, you know, I, I'd love to keep going through, but, but I'd love to pick your brain. So if you were listening or you were trying to decide your strategy for ETRM going forward, so you, we, we've put a lot of content out there. You know, what kind of things do you think people should be listening for? What, 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 what would it align to their needs or what, you know, what, how could they use a podcast like this or, you know, 13 hours of vendor content to, to figure out what's useful? What, what kind of takeaways would you, were you trying to get? 
Well, you know, you know that's a, that's an interesting question, and not having been privy to uh, the the other dozen or so uh, interviews that you've done, it's it's difficult for me to to draw any uh, conclusions directly from those. But I, I think that um, you know, for anybody looking for an ETRM solution, it, it really the the proof is in the pudding. It's it's do these vendors have the experience within the markets that I'm in the market that I'm in. And, and I think that's, that's an underappreciated uh, aspect to selecting uh, software. It's, you know, an, an oil and gas producer with uh, that may also have invested in some cogen facilities. It's going to have vastly different needs than a utility uh, that's uh, providing power in the European markets, for instance. It, it's just, they're two different worlds. And so you really need to be hyper-focused on your needs and how well has that, that vendor supplied uh, the needs of that, that same market that, that you're in. Um, and, you know, it, it really comes down to as much as we want to talk about technology and the latest and greatest technology, this still is a function feature marketplace. Uh, you know, you're willing to pay a bit more, endure a bit more pain in terms of costs and, and time to implement as long as that solution addresses your needs. Uh, if it doesn't address your needs, then you're probably you, you're, you've chosen the wrong vendor. Let me put it that way. Now, again, I think that's where the ecosystem approach does provide uh, real value in terms of being able to be more flexible, find the, you know, that, that that vendor that provides that, that molecular center of that, that ecosystem and then build out or acquire additional a- applications to address that. So I, I think when listening to any of these podcasts uh, from the particular vendors, listen to the markets they serve, listen to their t- technology strategies, is that a fit for you? And, and also scratch beneath the surface a bit and, and make sure that, you know, they, they've proven over, you know, time, whether that time horizon be six months or five years, they've proven over the last, that period of time that they are following through on that strategy. The market has changed quite a bit over the last several years, but, you know, it, it, it's still, you've got to have a track record of, of improving your system, improving your client relationships and, and ensuring that you're meeting the needs of the marketplace that, that you happen to sit in uh, if, if you are looking for software. Well, fantastic. Um, been an interesting ride, uh, this this conversation. We've, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, Martin, any final thoughts before we wind up the show? I want to say thank you very much, Patrick. That was really very interesting to get uh, that point of view or that uh, perspective on the on the market. Thank you. Well, glad. I'm, I'm glad you guys uh, brought me on. It's been very interesting for me as well, and I look forward to the uh, future episodes as you continue to speak to the vendors in the marketplace. Well, thank you, Patrick. And for our audience, you spent another hour listening to Insider's Guide to Energy. Uh, we've been talking about the ETRM miniseries and ETRM vendors in specific. There is 13 episodes of content that has been released. Uh, you can sign up and follow us on LinkedIn. You can follow us on anywhere you get your podcast. But if you're thinking anything about ETRM, I'd recommend listening to these 13 episodes as a good starting point. Thank you, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.